You got your odd screen. You got your bullets in the chamber. After that, all you need to do is just sit in that chair and watch. Hey, what's up, everybody? It's GP13 coming at you from the new studio. I just just moved, so this is the first uh, episode recorded in the new house, and it's going to be about steam chasing. So, I was having a discussion with a couple couple sports betters about you know uh, a hockey bet I had made and like why I had suggested it, and it basically came down to it was just a pure a pure steam play. And these were people who were pretty comfortable with like devigging and taking a devig line, comparing it to a line in another sports book and deciding, you know, the EV based off that, that devig line. And the play that I had suggested didn't have positive EV from a devigging standpoint. Like if you were to devig circa or pinnacle at the time, it wouldn't, it would be minus EV. But the play, I still suggested the play and it was be, because of essentially it was a pure steam chasing play and i had you know i tried to explain a little bit about the the process of steam chasing but i wanted to make sure because it, it's it's a subtle difference than a traditional dvig play that you'd find using a optimal like an odd screen like unabated odds jam dgf there's a little there's a little nuance to steam chasing which is directional instead of just treating um, the line as you know what it is in the moment and devigging from there it matters kind of where the line came from that's what steam chasing hinges on and I wanted to take an episode to just explain the basics of steam chasing so you know what it is because there's valuable lessons in learning steam chasing that you can apply if you're betting you know a model based number or you're using a a tool like odds jammer or whatever so let's first get into an example, what is steam chasing? I always say steam chasing is the same thing as tailing. You're just tailing sharp sports bettors who are moving numbers across the market, tailing them at books that haven't moved the number. Okay, that's the definition of steam chasing. I'm going to give you an example. So basketball season, let's say you see a sharp book like Circus Sports. They have Lakers versus Celtics, and they have Celtics minus three. And then you see Circa moves the number from Celtics minus three to Celtics minus four, and it's minus 110 on both sides. You look at DraftKings, DraftKings still has Celtics minus three. You bet Celtics minus three on DraftKings. That's steam chasing, right? You're just betting the number that you saw move off the screen at a different book, at a book where it hasn't moved. Now, you might be saying minus 110, minus 110, Look, I'm not an expert at basketball points and how much they're worth to the spread. It's not really my bread and butter. But you might say like, okay, so it moved to minus four. Minus three at minus 110 is still not, you know, plus EV bet. A point in basketball isn't worth the 10 cents. Again, could be wrong. Not an expert. But, you know, that's a valid question. The reason, the reason why steam chasing works is because... At Celtics minus four, minus 110, minus 110, Celtics minus four is a better bet than, uh, who are they playing? Lakers plus four at that number. Celtics minus four, minus 110 is a better bet 
than Lakers plus four. And why is that? Let's let's break it down. This is the essence of steam chasing. So to understand steam chasing, you have to understand how the books move the numbers. We've talked about this a lot, so I don't want to like do this every single episode, but let's you know, in 30 seconds, what's happening is circa when they see Celtics minus three against the Lakers, they move it to minus four. What's happening behind the scenes is they're a market making book. So someone that Circa respects has labeled as, you know, sharp, knows basketball, has bet bet Celtics minus three, and they move the number to minus four. Now, why does this matter? It matters because now when we look at the line minus four, you know, minus one ten, minus one ten, we should know that minus the minus four bet on the Celtics in this moment is better than the plus four bet. And we only know this because the number moved from minus three to minus four, right? If we don't have that context, if this is just an opening line, then we can't tell if minus four is better or plus four is better. But since the, the circus moved the number from minus three to minus four, we know now that actually, you know, the juice is more on the, the Lakers there. It's not really on the Celtics at that minus four number. Why is this? Now you have to put your shoes in yourself in the shoes of the better who moved that number, who placed the bet at minus three to have Circa go from minus three to minus four. They see minus three. They're a smart person, right? Circa's labeled them as smart, as sharp, as winning. They see minus three and they bet it. So would they bet minus three if their model is showing them a true price of minus four? No. Or at least look, someone who's better. I I don't think a point in basketball difference, discrepancy is worth betting in that situation when you take into account the juice. Their model is probably showing like Celtics minus six at minimum, right? To make that bet. And they see the market a little bit lower. So they're like, okay, you know, maybe the true number is minus five. Again, I don't know if the two points is worthy of a bet, but, you know, then they place the bet. Their true number to bet at minus three has to be a couple notches higher to hit their threshold of whatever the sharp better is considering a bet. Because as we know, as bettors, no one's really like placing bets on like a quarter percent EV. Just because you really, at that point, you know, your probability of being completely wrong and being, you know, losing and not supposed to, you know, of Kelly or quarter Kelly ruining your bankroll there of being a losing better is pretty high. So we know that most winning betters have some kind of threshold for the better, you know, for the better betters, it might be 1%. For people who are, you know, doing some kind of secondary, you know, who might be a little less confident, it could be five, you know, whatever it is, but we know there's some threshold of EV for them to make the bet. But in simpler terms, in simpler terms, what's happening is Good better sees minus three as a good bet, bets it. We see minus three somewhere else, and we can bet it, then we bet it. They bet minus three, we bet minus three, right? And we only want to be betting in situations where we're pretty sure that there's somebody who knows something, who's a sizable player, who is respected by the sports books, making that bet. That's what we're trying to find out. Is someone who knows something making that bet? And if they are, 
are they doing it in earnest or are they doing it to maybe throw a head fake? I'm not going to get too much into head fakes because honestly, like most of the time you see a big steam move, just, you know, follow it for now and then start to consider the fact that there are, of course, syndicates out there that would like to fake the whole market. But in a big market, it takes so much money to fake um, that, and now I'm just like, well, there's exceptions again. I'll do one maybe on the fakes. Like we don't, we don't fake. Um, but I know that that's a thing for the bigger players in this industry and it's an interesting topic, but for now, just assume like you're looking for a big move across multiple books because big syndicates, they're going to be betting, not just at Circa, right? Not just at Pinnacle. They'll be betting on the offshores, the off, you know, the paper heads, they try and bet on anything they can off screen. Right. But sometimes an off screen means basically just not on spank odds, not on Don best, but you know they might be moving at the paperheads um, first. You might see some action across a couple paperheads, and then you might see it sprinkle onto Pinnacle and Bet Chris and Circa. And all that time, you're like, okay, you see a little pattern. They're placing their first bets on the paperheads, which you know not aren't as public. People aren't um, keeping as close of an eye on them as they are Circa and Pinnacle, right? Once they've kind of moved the number at the the paperheads, they go and they bet at Circa. They go and they bet at Pinnacle. Now they move the number there, right? But that's their last resort. So usually you're not going to beat them from the paper from the paperheads to the more public sharp books, but you will because they'll skip over stuff like DraftKings, FanDuel, BetRivers. They're going to skip those because it's just not worth their time. These are sharper books. I mean, softer books. And they're just trying to move money fast, get it down. They're probably limited. They don't want to keep churning through accounts at those books. So they're probably just betting. If they're originators, they're probably not betting there. So what you can do is once you see it go from, you know, that they move the numbers at the paperheads, they move the numbers at the more public sharp books, that's confirmation confirmation enough that you can go bet that same number at FanDuel, at DraftKings, BetRivers, whatever. And in the hockey bet situation, that's exactly what happened. I was just watching the screen because I was like sitting down. I don't usually do this, but you know, if you're in the seat and you want to make a little money and it's a high leverage time where a lot of stuff's moving, you might as well watch the screen, see if you can put some bets in. So that's exactly what happened. Sent the bet to the Discord and then um, people were like, oh, like what? Why are you betting that? Because it could be, you know, a negative EV if you defig it. It was a steam chasing play. I had seen it move across the board. I had seen the screen kind of light up on that one game, found it, that it hadn't moved on FanDuel, betted on FanDuel. Simple as that. So all of this is is a long way of saying what I said in the beginning, which is steam chasing is tailing. What you're doing is you're tailing the bets of the people that are respected enough by the sports books or by the, you know, sharp community to be moving the markets you're betting numbers that they bet period simple as that right uh, you know it, it it really doesn't have to be more um complicated than that but i think it's important to kind of break it down a little bit understand the mechanics of it why it works put it back together you're just tailing sharp betters right so to steam chase it, you, you don't need a lot and this is why i said i had a tweet that said steam chasing is like the entry level job of sports betting right really just to steam chase all you need is you need an odd screen 
I personally use uh, Spank Odds. This is more for traditional sports betting. If you're looking at the props, right, the DFS, you know, sites and whatnot, again, maybe you want to use Odds Jam or DGF. But for traditional sports betting, I've switched to Spank Odds. Love it. Going to stick with it. So you need an odd screen because you need to be able to see the entire market, right? You need to not only just see when a number moves at one book, but what you're looking for is market-wide movement. You're looking for, because the, the smartest, the best syndicates who are originators, they're, they're betting it across the board, so many different books. So you might see one book move. That doesn't necessarily tell us everything we need to know. That could be a hedge. That could be a fake out. You want to make sure, like be very, very confident at least when you start seam chasing, that this move is a real move because you've seen like the whole screen move on the game besides the soft books or besides the books you're targeting. So you need to see the market. You need to see the screen. Get your odd screen. Then you need to have money. You need to have basically highlighted what books are slow to move and then get money at them, right? Just to be ready. That's bullets in the chamber, right? You need to be ready. You got your odd screen, you got your bullets in the chamber. After that, all you need to do is just sit in that chair and watch. That's it. That's why this is more the entry-level job because it it really just takes you paying attention to the screen, putting the hours in, and grinding. It's not theoretically too complicated, but there's a lot of money to be made doing this still. You know, I if you have the time, I would highly recommend starting to like find the best times to sit down for the sports that you're you're watching or whatever seasonal sports it is sit down and you know watch the market move around and put some bets in so valuable because because it's going to aid you in your other betting you need to understand how you need to be able to look at the market through the eyes of both the sports books and the big syndicates the big whales the people who are you know, super sharp and moving the market. You want to be able to be thinking about them. You need to think about all the market participants. Steam chasing is a good way to break your your mind out of the concept that the sports betting market is just like Vegas, right? It's not Vegas. What is it made up of? Why does it tick? Why does it move like it does? These are all things that are super important to think about. And I think steam chasing is a way to learn this stuff while making some money and keeping yourself engaged. It's like a it's a fun way to learn about all this. So I highly recommend it. Of course, now there are some drawbacks to steam chasing. First one is the only one really is the books hate it. Right? Like the trade it pisses the traders off because what what happens is basically like every time like 10 seconds before a trader moves a number, you're in there like betting that number and they just see like their boss is going to come down and be like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, why are you so slow? They're going to get yelled at. They're mad at you. You're not giving them any super valuable information. I would say you're still, you know, if they tag your account as a steam, like a good steam chaser, they can just move off your action. It's not terrible, but they're not as valuable as an originator, right? So they're going to be pissed at you. They're probably going to limit you. Certain books are more tolerable than others. Um, say like Caesars and FanDuel right now are two of the books that I would say are sharper books and don't take the um, super aggressive limiting approach that like a DraftKings 
an MGM Rivers as well take. But, you know, there's there's alternative ways to also chase steam. Like, you don't have to do the super obvious, like, the money line moves and you bet the money line. You might bet the, like, first half money line or the first quarter or whatever it is, some derivatives. Like, there's ways to be more creative about it. Um, but that's you still need to understand the basics of how it works. And if you have, like, there's certain books that you're going to get limited at no matter what. If you don't have, like, a super high-value strategy to take advantage of that book, maybe you want to just, like, set that as a steam-chasing book and just, like, practice that there, make your money, and then use that money to do something else. Totally fine. Um, Some people like to dump on steam-chasers. Again, like I said, like, I made a play a couple days ago or whatever it was, like I make multiple steam chasing plays. It's not my main earn, but in certain situations, it's worth it. And you have to know about it because you have to be able to think about the market like a steam chaser because they're thinking about the sports books and the sharp betters. And people who are chasing steam are market participants too. So you want to understand how they're working, right? It's all part of like a holistic view of the market. Anyway, I hope that made sense. I want to like take a more deep dive into steam chasing because it is super important to understand. And I think a lot of the people who are on like pure devigging strategies might not be familiar with it. And there's some there's some important takeaways. Key key takeaway number one: the vig is not evenly distributed. Right, the juice is not always evenly distributed across the line. And that's going to make devigging um, vulnerable sometimes. Way to counteract that is to understand steam chasing. Use line history, line movement, couple it with the devigging, and you've got a much more robust process. So anyway, I hope that uh, I hope that made sense. And tomorrow we have a great episode that I recorded with Shiesty Picks. Uh, amazing interview. I had a blast with him. So please. After you're listening to this, please, if you haven't, hit subscribe so you can get that episode right away tomorrow. Listen to that. And uh, yeah, give me a give me a review if you can. Appreciate everybody. I'll see you on the next episode.